0: Hello and welcome back everyone to Euangelion, I'm Andy Bwachi and this is Interpreting Scripture and Life and we are looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians and as we turn to chapter two today we'll start to unpack some of the um, actual central issues of the letter and see um, even more uh, clearly and profoundly why this letter is so incredibly explosive why I think it does cut to the very heart of Paul's gospel uh, and why it in many ways set the agenda for our understanding of Paul. In this initial section, uh, I want to just remind you of the end of chapter 1. Remember Paul has recalled his former life in Judaism and he, he mentions how the uh, churches in Judea didn't know him by name but were glorifying God because he had become a preacher from being a former persecutor uh, and this is important paul has has already then talked about a time when he marginalized uh, a group of people because of um, a a perceived um, slight towards the Jewish law uh, and as a result the 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 Christian community in Jerusalem uh, was very much um, uh, with their backs against the wall as far as, uh, as Paul was concerned. The reason I say that's important is because Paul's about to relate two more incidents which follow on in many ways from that same one. There are, there are three incidents Paul um, relays which set the agenda for the section of Galatians 2 which is right towards the end which outlines the thesis of the whole letter. If you ever hear about the thesis statement in Galatians, it's Galatians 2, 15 to 21. It's where we first hear the terms justified by faith and not by works of the law. Uh, And this is the the, um, central handle upon which the rest of the letter revolves. So here's what we read in Galatians 2. We'll read from verses one to 10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, but on the contrary, seeing that i had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as peter had been to the circumcised for he who effectually worked for peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the gentiles and recognizing the grace that had been given to me james and kirphas and john who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised They only asked us to remember the poor the very thing i also was eager to do now the truth is there are so many questions surrounding this passage that it'd be difficult to get into them all and so i won't attempt to the first big question is whether or not this section in galatians 2 1 through 10 is actually paul's rendition of the so-called jerusalem council in acts 15. there are good reasons for thinking that it is But there are other reasons why people suggest that it's not. Acts mentions uh, three trips that Paul makes to Jerusalem. Um, This could be um, any one of those, uh, depending uh, on uh, how you think Acts and Paul tally. In my own estimation, Galatians 2, 1 through 10 is Paul's rendition of the Jerusalem Council. Now... If you read Acts 15, 1 uh, and Acts 15, 5 and 6, uh, it's clear that the, the issues in the Jerusalem Council were the very same issues that Paul was dealing with in Galatia. However, there are some discrepancies. Um, Acts doesn't mention the presence of Titus, which Paul does here. Um, and there are some other uh, difficulties in terms of uh, matching the two. And as I say, scholars take a different, uh, different tack. Um, if you really were interested in an in-depth account, I would read the paper by Mark Goodacre. Uh, and Goodacre argues that Galatians two one to ten actually is the Jerusalem Council, and I'm broadly persuaded by his argument. Then the other uh, difficult question is what he means by this interval of fourteen years. Does it include the three years that he spent in Arabia, um, or is it? Fourteen years after he um, got to Damascus, in which case it would make it seventeen years after his first trip to Jerusalem. It's not a huge issue, but again, it does affect some of the um, the, the attempts to date uh, key events um, in uh, in Paul's travels, um, and it does affect certain uh, renditions of um, of Paul's movements. Not least of all. Uh, He mentions in 2 Corinthians uh, this business of being lowered in a basket and which seems to reflect the issue mentioned in Acts 9. Uh, And so these sorts of timings could possibly uh, affect how we see um, his travels um, uh, tallying. But the key issue here is what seems to be happening when he turns up in Jerusalem with Titus. Now. He's gone to Jerusalem so that he can connect with the leaders of the Jerusalem church and lay out to them what exactly it is he's telling the Gentiles. There needed to be some kind of unity about what they were preaching. Now, what they were preaching to Jews and what they were preaching to Gentiles would not necessarily have been exactly the same thing because Gentiles were coming from a completely different context. However, what was clear is that preaching that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and that he was raised from the dead must have been key to the message. So Paul says that he went along to Jerusalem and again he notes in verse 2 that it was because of a revelation. You notice that Paul is constantly adamant to assert that he moves because God calls him to move, not because he's being ushered by any people uh, or bullied by any leaders. He's moved because of a revelation and then submits the gospel that he, he was preaching to the Gentiles to them. But notice he does so in private to those who were of reputation. This is a um, a phrase he keeps using. The, the, the Greek seems to imply those who seemed to be and doesn't really say anything else other than that. Um, and so we assume that what Paul is saying is those who seemed to be something. So those who seem to be somebody in Jerusalem. But what's also clear is that Paul is certainly not in awe of their position which is no small thing when you consider what he, you know, who he's talking about here. There's Peter, Jesus's closest um, apostle, James, it, Jesus's brother, um, and the John, we assume this is the John who was um, uh, the brother of uh, Andrew, uh, the uh, brother of James in the gospel rather. And again, clearly an important leader in, in the early church. Anyway, he goes to these leaders in private. Um, the fact that he goes in private will be important, um, not in the, um, actually, yes, in the next podcast when we talk about the issue at Antioch. But keep that in mind. Paul knows how to go to leaders in private. Anyway, he goes in private and he tells them what it is he's telling uh, the Gentiles. Um, just and, and look what he says. He does so for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. He wants the, the leaders in Jerusalem to, to know what he's he's telling the Gentiles, just in case there is some kind of a difficulty with it, just in case they were to run aground. Um, something he, he saw in Jerusalem must have made him uh, conscious of that. And then in verse 3, Um, he seems to expound upon what that is. Not even Titus, he says, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Then he mentions these false brothers who had been secretly brought in. Um, And the, the phrase he uses there in the Greek, it kind of means they slipped in sideways. And they'd clearly come to Jerusalem to see, well, what is it like when a Jewish Christian like Paul and a Greek like Titus interact with one another? and as we'll see the incident in antioch seems to be uh, of a similar a similar thing people trying to see what it's like when there's actually fellowship between jewish and gentile believers but paul calls them false brethren who in some sense must have been uh, jealous of the freedom Um, with which these Jewish and Gentile believers moved about. He says that they sneaked in to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. For Paul, it was like being brought back into slavery. If these um, Greeks and uh, Gentiles were being forced in any way to embrace Jewish customs. And as the letter unfolds, and particularly when we get into chapter 4, we'll see why Paul considers this to be like slavery but we didn't give in to them for a second Paul says well an hour to be exact um, in verse 5 and he did so so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you again that's a very key phrase that I want you to remember because it's going to come up again uh, in a few short verses time when Paul is dealing with this issue in Antioch that we'll talk about in the next podcast there's something that he calls the truth of the gospel And what he's saying here is that if he had allowed these Jewish believers to bully Titus into being circumcised, it would compromise the truth of the gospel. And that ought to start to give you some idea of what he means by the truth of the gospel. And that will be confirmed, I think, a little later in Galatians 2. And interestingly, again, when he uses the term truth in Galatians 5, we'll come to that uh, in a future podcast. But then we get a very clear indication of Paul's utter disdain for the Jerusalem administration. Now, let me put this into some kind of meaningful context. I don't think Paul um, disliked Peter or, or, or James or John or had any particular issues with them. But when it comes to reputation and rank and um, position, this was clearly um, a red herring to Paul. He was patently disinterested in who was a big chief and who was a little Indian when he says but from those who were of high reputation and then says what they were makes no difference to me God shows no partiality he makes a really strong statement he's saying not only are these people nothing to me but their rank and their position is nothing to God either and that the, the greek phrase which is normally translated shows no partiality or doesn't show favors is actually an idiomatic phrase and the the, the phrase is literally would be translated in english as god does not receive the face of a man think about that people who present a great outward show and and a you know a big cheesy grin and look like leaders from the outside god is unimpressed and paul is unimpressed as a result. And look what he he says. And again, it's difficult to suggest that there was no antagonism here. And again, when we get to the next incident, clearly there was friction. Paul says that those who were of reputation, talking here clearly about Peter, James, and John, contributed nothing to me. Again, this, this harks back to what he'd said in chapter one about not receiving the gospel from people. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem to get permission from the Jerusalem leaders to preach the gospel. He didn't go there so they could sanction his gospel. He went there so that he could present a unified front of preaching the gospel. There were two very different messages being preached here. One to Jewish believers, which would largely have rested on interpretations of the law, and one to Gentiles, which would certainly have rested in some degree to Um, proving that Jesus is the Messiah from the law and the prophets, but also had of course to deal with the Gentiles' background in idolatry and paganism, something which comes through very strongly in some of other of Paul's letters, most particularly in 1 Corinthians. And it seems that Peter and James and John were fine with what Paul was preaching. The one thing that they they did um, insist on was that he remembered the poor. And I don't think this is a generic statement. I think they mean the poor of Jerusalem, and particularly those who had been affected by the famine, if indeed the famine had happened uh, by this point, which seems most likely. And Paul says he was already very eager to do that. Paul uh, clearly had the poor on his heart. Uh, and if you read um, the pastoral letters, um, which um, may have been written by Paul or may have been written by some of his students, uh, there's a, a very strong sense of Paul's um, Uh, care and consideration for the underprivileged in the community so so paul um, is given what he calls the right hand of fellowship by um, james and peter and john and they agree that Paul and Barnabas should continue to preach this um, what, the, the, the version of the gospel that they had been preaching to Gentiles. When we think of unity in Christian communities, all sorts of difficult issues are raised. What's the basis of that unity? How are we unified? I'm not necessarily saying that Paul's attitude towards James and Peter and John was necessarily correct. We also know that Paul had this somewhat acrimonious split from Barnabas shortly after the Jerusalem Council. Um, As I've mentioned earlier, Luke says it was because of an issue surrounding John Mark. As I'll argue in the next podcast, I think there was a little more to it than that. But what's clear is that you have some very human stories here. Although these are apostles, people commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to be the bearers of his message, to be the interpreters of the gospel, to be the very bedrock upon which the church was founded, the New Testament doesn't give us unvarnished portrayals of how they got along. There was clearly friction between Peter and James and Paul there was clearly some difficulty in trying to reconcile the gospel to the Gentiles and the gospel to the Jews and as we'll see in the next podcast there still wasn't clarity over how Jews and Gentiles should mix even within the community And I think it's important that as we strive for unity uh, in today's church that we are very honest about human stories. People are different and we clash for all sorts of reasons. We're not unified because we all think the same things, we're unified because we worship the same God and that we believe in the same Messiah who he sent to die for our sins. That's the thing that holds us together. And as long as that holds us together, we ought to be able to navigate all the other issues surrounding what binds us as a community. Somehow, Peter and James and Paul worked this out. Somehow, the message um, wasn't massively compromised, but clearly there was friction. Clearly there was difficulty. Clearly the relationship wasn't smooth and easy going. That shouldn't be threatening to us. That shouldn't make us want to impose ideas of unity onto these texts. We ought to let the texts speak for themselves and allow them to share these very human stories and allow ourselves to be immersed in those human stories as we ourselves work out what it means to be unified, work out what it means to preach the gospel, and work out what it means to use our very different individual gifts to bring glory to the God who raised Jesus from the dead.